Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good to see you, my friends. I'm going to invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 6, whether it's like your physical Bible or your uh, Bible on your phone. hope that you have a Bible this morning. And so turn there. Just a quick announcement this evening. At five, we will have a, a, a meeting to discuss the budget looking at 2024. And so I want you to consider yourself invited to come and talk to the committee. They, our stewardship committee, is uh, they just do an awesome job. And so we want to talk through that before we look ahead to what the Lord is doing this next year. And I have a few other things that I'm going to throw in, in there about some things that we hope to see uh, come about for our church. And so it's an exciting time. God's good. He's been doing some amazing things in and through this place, and it's just kind of fun to be a part of it, you know? Uh, so consider yourself invited, but for now, we're in Daniel chapter six. Uh, Adrian Rogers, uh, years ago, kind of a famous uh, preacher. He's now with the Lord. He was talking about a story about a man that had bragged about the fact that he had cut off the tail of a man-eating lion. Isn't that impressive? I mean, would you do something like that? Because I don't know that I would. And so when he was asked about, well, why'd you cut off the tail and you didn't cut off the head? And he goes, well, because somebody else had already cut off the head. (laughs) All right, so here's the thing. Earlier in the book of Daniel, you saw that there are times in your faith where great courage is required out of you, uh, that to make a difference, you're gonna have to be different. We saw this before with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might remember those guys because they wouldn't bow and worship, and of course, you know, there's this edict, everyone was gonna bow and they were gonna worship Nebuchadnezzar. And can you imagine this big crowd out before him and everybody drops to the ground and then there's three guys that are standing up. When everybody is bowing down and you're standing up, you kind of stick out, but they were willing to stick out. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also known as Rakshak and Benny. Today, there's gonna be another story of courage, but it's gonna go to Daniel himself. But before I get to that, I love this. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt um, in France, I believe this was April 23rd, 1910. He said this, he said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong, how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. But let's stop for a second. Aren't there plenty of those people So you have artists and then you have art critics. You have the people that are actually doing the work and then you have the people that love to talk about the people that are doing the work. That's who he's talking about here. He said, the credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That is a great word. It it talks about those people that are willing to not talk about great things, but are willing to do great things. And those people do it at great risk. 
for those people that stand on the sidelines and are quick to point out how you fail as a leader but have never led themselves. They never know what it is like to have to make a decision to own the consequences of it. They don't know, but boy, they will talk. They will talk. Those are the people that Teddy Roosevelt is talking about. And Daniel, that idea is gonna meet in the thick of his experience. And let me just give you a little bit of context here because let me remind you of what's going on. Number one, Babylon has been overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. That was a tough day. Nebuchadnezzar, all of the royal family, they have been killed. And then a guy named King Darius uh, of the Medes is now sitting on the throne. Now let's talk about Daniel himself. At this point in his life, he's already over 80 years old. Now hold on for just a second there, because I think there's something that needs to be said. Uh, for those of you that might be just a little bit up in age, and you might be thinking, it's awesome to be me because I've already done everything. I mean, for goodness sakes, I'm the ripe old age of, and then you fill in the blank. I'm not gonna do that for you today. I wanna point something out. If you have air in your lungs and blood in your veins, God has a purpose for you. And you see this witnessed in a guy like Daniel, over 80 years old, still living in captivity in Babylon. We don't know what's happened to Rack, Shack, and Benny. Presumably these guys are dead at this point. We don't know. It's just kind of like all of a sudden they're not being talked about anymore. And then you have Darius, who in order to keep some continuity in leadership, what he does is he decides to keep a lot of the leadership from the previous administration in his administration. Throughout the book of Daniel, you've already been seeing people called the wise men show up over and over again. And Daniel gets brought in and he gets trained up. He becomes one of them. Well, what happens is, is Darius takes a real liking to Daniel. And you might be, well, why is that? And the answer is in Daniel chapter six, verse three. Look at it. It says, Daniel distinguished himself because he had an extraordinary spirit. And so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. That's pretty impressive, wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you, here you have a, a people that have been exiled. These aren't your people, but because you're such a person of integrity and character and leadership, you're consistent, you're dependable. You have somebody like Darius that goes, I want that man in the highest level of leadership that ain't mine. I want him over that. Now, think about this for a second. Have you ever known or been in a situation where you have been given a position or somebody that you know has been given a position of, of power or responsibility or authority that other people were wanting to have? Have you ever been there before? And I know what happens is when you're in that moment and they, they finally announce such and so is now in this position, everybody celebrates that, including all the people that didn't get the position that they want. Or, more likely what is the case is they don't like you anymore <laughs> because you got what they wanted. And did you know that's exactly what happened in Daniel chapter six? I mean, one of the things about Daniel and his consistency, this guy has been, he's been in positions of leadership for more than 60 years. And it, and it doesn't mean, look, I'm not naive. I am pretty sure that at some point, Daniel probably made a mistake somewhere. Right? I mean, you lead for 60 years, you're probably gonna drop a ball somewhere. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you don't, but it wasn't with regard to his character. His character was stable and dependable. And Darius is like, man, that guy. So he's promoting Daniel above all the other leaders and apparently the plan leaks out because you know what? Just like today, same as back then, people yap. That's what they do. They just can't help themselves. 
Those wanting power, they're not happy. So what they do is they manufacture accusations against Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter six, verses five through seven. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Boy, that's interesting. So they went together to the king and they said to him, may King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, they've agreed that the king should establish an ordinance that for 30 days, anyone who petitions, any God or man except you, the king, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. All right, now look at verse eight. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as the law of the Medes and the Persians, it is irrevocable and it cannot be changed. Have you noticed that there are a number of figures of speech that we use today that are from the book of Daniel? The writing is on the wall, for example. That's from the book of Daniel. There's also this figure of speech, may it be according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Well, that came from this right here. And I know you're wondering, well, what does it mean? And the answer is, is once it's set, it's fixed. We don't go back. We've said what we have to say. Now, why would they put an edict like that or put an ordinance in like that? And the answer is, it's something like this. The historians would say it was to keep kings or leaders from passing laws that were arbitrary. Uh, you know, they didn't want a law that was just willy-nilly. You want something that is set in stone. Now, of course, I, I'm reading that and going, I don't know. It seems to me that all the people that got together and wanted this 30-day edict, that seemed pretty arbitrary to me. But you know, what am I? I don't know. I could be wrong. But that's let it be according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Now, you might go, okay. So how does Daniel respond to that? Because it, let's face it, it kind of puts him in a weird spot, doesn't it? I mean, here, here you are, a person that worships the Lord, and now you have this edict that says, well, that's not gonna happen for a month. If you're gonna pray, that's fine, but you're gonna pray to Darius. That's just the way this is gonna roll. Look at verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house, he opened his upstairs window toward Jerusalem, and three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed and he gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now, I don't know how many of you are people that actually mark up your Bible, but for those of you that are Bible marker uppers and you look at verse 10, can I encourage you to underline the very last part of verse 10, just as he had done before. Think about it. So you have an edict that goes out. It's signed in the law according to the Medes and the Persians. How does Daniel react? Here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't question it. He also doesn't bow to it. He doesn't worry about it. He does what he's always done. He does what he's always done. Can you agree with me that that might require tremendous courage? Tremendous courage. Because the punishment for violating the law has already been spoken of. If you don't, you get to meet our friends, the lions. He already knows this. So what does he do? He acts in the same way as before. He prays three times a day, just like he does before. I, I wanna be quick to point something out. He's not praying to protest anything. It's not what he's doing. This isn't, I'm gonna pray so that I can make some, you know, some political point that I want to make. He's not manipulating the moment. He's praying because he's a praying man. That's why he's praying. 
He's not the kind of guy that once the edict comes out and you know who I'm talking about, credit might be you. Not necessarily known for praying, but the second that they say, hey, you know what? You can't pray. You're like, oh yeah? Well, I'm gonna pray three times a day. That's not what Daniel is doing. This isn't stick it back to the leader's moment by Daniel. This is Daniel doing what Daniel does. Daniel talks with God. Daniel is constantly listening to God. And just because some political ruler said something opposite, Daniel goes, I'm just gonna keep doing what I do. That means that what he was willing to do is that he was willing to hold on to God even if that meant it would come at great personal expense. And there was a promise that it would. So look at Daniel chapter six, verse 11 and 12. Then these men, I do like the way that they refer to them, these men, these guys. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. You can probably kind of see it, right? So the edict comes out and they're like, hey, could somebody go and hang outside of Daniel's house? Get your binoculars, right? And if you saw what we were reading before, Daniel doesn't hide it. He goes back to his home. He opens up just like he had done before. He opens up his windows and he looks toward Jerusalem. He looks toward home. He looks toward home and he prays. And they're out there going, and we got him. We got him. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Notice their wording. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Did you see what they did? They're the ones that actually came up with the decree, put it before him to sign it. Now, to be fair, he signs it, but they came up with the decree and they're like, you remember your decree? Now Darius has to be like, yes, I remember the decree. And you remember he signed it, law of the Medes and the Persians, it is what it is. So what does Darius do? He's stuck in a bad situation because it seems like he really likes Daniel. Seems like he really likes him. And by the way, you probably would too because he's a consistent and upstanding person and you like those people around you. Look at Daniel chapter six, verses 17 to 22. So the king says to Daniel, may your God whom you continually serve rescue you. All right, so Bible underliners, there's something for you to underline there. May your God whom you what? continually serve. He, he already knows this about him. There isn't anything hidden to Darius about who Daniel is and who he worships. Daniel apparently embodies this. Whoever wants to look, look, this is just who I am. Darius already knows this about him. May your God who you continually serve rescue you. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. He couldn't sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you continually, you see a repetition here, whom you continually serve, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? Now stop for just a second because what you see from Darius is he's hoping he has. He's hoping that he has. I hope that this is true. I hope that when I say this out there, I'm gonna hear a voice that's gonna speak back to me. That's what I want. And what happens? Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouths. They haven't harmed me because I was found innocent before him. 
There, there are a few things that I want you to soak up this morning. There's some things that I want you to soak in this morning that I think we can take from Daniel chapter six, at least for what we've got so far. And, and here's the first. I, I remember a friend of mine saying this some, some years ago, but he said, you don't squeeze an orange and get Dr. Pepper. That is in spite of the fact that many of you wish that that would be the case. You don't squeeze an orange and you get Dr. Pepper. In fact, what happens is when you get squeezed, oftentimes you find out what's really inside of you. Maybe write that down. The trials that we find ourselves in can certainly shape us. The trial that you find yourself in can certainly shape you. I wanna step outside of Daniel for a second and I wanna go to James chapter one, verses two through five for just a second. Think about what James says there. He says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many of you consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds? Throw those hands up, everybody. I'll wait. <laughs> How many of you respond like this? Get this out of here. Who wants to go through this? James says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the time of test, the testing of, of your faith, it produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. God is not trying to withhold a blessing from you. Sometimes you don't have because you never asked. Have you ever thought about what you're not asking for? That God is like, ask me for it. But you're over there milling around on your own without the power of God trying to figure it out. And God is like, have you ever stopped to thought and talk to me a little bit about this? Maybe I have something to say. Maybe there's something I want to give you in this. Maybe you have not because you ask not. Consider it pure joy, he says, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? And James tells you this, because of what the trial will produce because of what the trial will produce. James is not telling you that every trial that you face is something you're going to enjoy. It's called a trial for a reason. It's a trial. There are three different kinds of people in this place this morning. There are those going through trials right now. And that might be you. I mean, you, you are getting squeezed. And by the way, anytime that you feel, pre you can feel pressure. You can feel it. Nothing in scripture was asking you to, to not feel the weight of the moment. Nothing in scripture. Jesus felt the weight of the moment when he was in Gethsemane, my friends. And if he felt it, you will too. There is nothing wrong with feeling the weight of the moment. That isn't it. And if you're going through the trial, you probably feel it right now. You brought the weight of it into this space. There, there are some people in this room who have just come through a trial. Like the trial is over, but maybe the aftermath of it isn't. You are your soul is tired. You just went through it. You're still feeling it, but you're on the other side of it. And then there are those that are about to go through a trial and you know what, you don't know it, but it's coming to you. Three basic kinds of people. The word for trial that James uses, it's really broad. And this is why he says, you'll face trials of many kinds. Lots of different kinds. And I'll be honest with you, my friends, the, maybe the stuff that, that I, the trials that I face, it might be different from the ones that you face, but here's some of the possibilities. Some of you are literally going through physical trials right now. 
And what I mean by that is this, there is a physical affliction, there is a sickness that will not go away. If that's you, then there are people that have gone through it before you, and there are people that will go through it after you. Paul went through it. If you were to read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh. And when he talks about it, he pleads with God. He said, would you take this from me? Would you take this from me? Most scholars agree that the thorn in the flesh is a physical affliction. It's a physical affliction of some sort. I mean, kind of the, the big ideas would be he might have an issue with his vision. He might be losing his vision. Uh, some have thought that he had contracted malaria. I mean, he had done a lot of missionary journeys. You go through the Mediterranean basin and maybe he had gotten malaria on his journeys. Maybe it made him sick. Or maybe he had epilepsy. That's one of the main theories. You know, I kind of like that one. I have a seizure disorder. And I'm like, see, Paul and I, we're very similar. I mean, we're not similar at all. I mean, he's the master, right? Here's the thing. Those are physical trials that you go through. And with Paul, notice what he says. He said, I prayed that God would remove it. And there's no correction for him in that. There's nothing in the word that says, Paul, you should, never should have prayed that. You never should have prayed that. You know, it is perfectly fine in the middle of your trial to say, if it's your will, remove this from me. It's perfectly fine. But what that means is on the other side of it, you have to be willing to hear God say, yeah, that's not gonna happen. This is something you're just gonna have to go through. But my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. That's one possibility. Some of you are going through emotional trials. And, and maybe you're going through an emotional trial, frankly, because of the circumstances that you find yourself in. You're just spent, you're exhausted. You are physically tired, you're emotionally tired, you're mentally tired, you're spiritually tired. And maybe it's because of just what you're going through. So, having an alcoholic spouse, losing a loved one, and you're just hurt, you're just hurt, and you're feeling it. Financial struggles. I don't know. I don't know what all walked in here. Here's what I know. James is saying, this is the reality that we face. And all of us face it, even if it's different. You go, what are the reasons for it? Verse three in James chapter one, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's a product of it. It's a product of it. He says, you know it. He uses a Greek word there that's pretty interesting. It's gnosko. Y'all write that down. It's great stuff. Gnosko means this is a knowledge that you can only have through experience. You cannot sit in your home and get this. You can only get it by going through it. Now, after you go through it, you can have it, but you can't have it without it. For some of you, what you, you pray for is you pray for certain uh, pro, uh, products in your life. You just don't wanna go through what it takes to get it. And James is saying, you're gonna have to go through it. You'll have to go through it. See, trials are the foundation of your future spiritual development. You're becoming something is what James is trying to say. Let me give you an example. A good teacher, I, I was a professor for a lot of years. A good teacher gives a test over information he or she has already taught you. I did not spend an extraordinary amount of my time when I made out exams for my students trying to test them over things that I did not ask them to know. I did not work like that. Now, my students will also be very quick to tell you my exams were very thorough. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Of course, I expect you to know something. Of course. What was my least favorite question as a professor? Is that gonna be on the test? Yep, sure is, even if it wasn't. Yep. <laughs> what? Study, 
Study, you're here to learn. You're here to learn. Soak it up. A good teacher will give a test over information that you should know. Here's the thing. When you go through trials, God has already given you a wealth of information to pass the test. Stay in the word. Stay in it. Soak it up. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it is the critic of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be mature and thoroughly furnished for every good work. Be in the word. Soak it up. When you, when you, sometimes your tests are not removed from you because you have not passed the test to begin with. Have you ever had this thing keep coming up over and over and you sit there and you go, why am I dealing with this again? And the answer is, is because you keep failing the test. You keep failing the test. The test is there to produce something in you. And here's, sometimes God isn't giving up on the test until it produces it in you. It's not fun, but it's important. It is literally life-changing. Lean into it. Lean into it. Sometimes we're in the same trial because we haven't mastered what the trial is trying to teach us. I mean, you, you're not gonna go to algebra two until you have mastered algebra one and all God's people said. You get it? I mean, sometimes you have to have the foundation first before you can get what is next. And sometimes it's only the, tr the trial that produces it in you so that you can get to what's next. In that case, I'm encouraging you, lean into it. I'm not saying enjoy it. I'm saying lean into it. Um, James says this, he says, let it finish its work. Let it, let it. I was thinking about it. any track runners out there. Can I see those hands? Get those hands up. You know, at nine o'clock, not one hand went up. Uh, I used to run track and I don't anymore. And uh, that was a wise decision. I used to run the two mile and the mile um, cross country. And I did the mile relay, which is basically like a 440 sprint is what it is. Um, here's the way that I trained. So for the two mile, did you know that I actually never just ran two miles to prepare for the two miles? It's crazy, isn't it? I would run five to six miles. You know why? It's because if I can blast it for six miles, two miles is like nothing. It's like nothing. In fact, here's the way, I don't know if they do this anymore. Track runners, feel free to throw in on this. They actually used to make me wear leg weights around my ankles when I was training. Do they still do that? So literally it was two and a half pound weights on each ankle as I was running distance. Totally irrelevant, unrelated to the story. I developed shin splints and I retired from track. All right. I don't know if they're still doing that stuff today, but why would they do that? It was to provide as much resistance to me and my training as they possibly could so that the actual race itself was like, it was nothing. It was nothing. I was ready for it. This is what James is trying to say. Let it do its work. Let it finish its work. I, I was thinking about this. There was... A lady, this goes some years ago, but there was this sweet lady and she was put into an assisted living facility. And I remember going to see her and um, as I sat down with her, 
Um, she said to me, kind of moment of honesty, she goes, I don't want to be here. And I said, well, I wouldn't want to be here either. I, there's no point in lying to somebody, right? I said, I wouldn't want to be here either, but you are. I mean, you are. So here's why I bring this up. Some of us spend so much mental energy on wanting to be somewhere else that we miss out on where we can be right now. What we can be doing right now. So here's what I did. Um, I went out in the hall, I got her nurse, and I said, hey, come in here with me. And so we went back in and sat down. I said, I'm not sure if you've gotten to know my friend here. I'm her pastor. She would like to know how she can pray for you today. <laughs> By the way, my lady didn't know that I was doing that that day, and that was like the great pastor juke on her, right? She would like to know how she can pray for you today. And it, she sat down, and she just broke. She just wept. And she just talked through everything that her family was going through. And I said, okay, Miss Letha's gonna pray for you now. Miss Letha didn't know she was gonna be praying that day either for her. <laughs> this is great fun. And so anytime you invite me to come in, I might do this to you, right? I said, but, but Miss Letha's gonna pray for you right now. And they prayed together over each other. It was really something. I said, look, I know, I know you need to go. You got other people you're taking care of. There you go. And I just looked at Miss Letha. I said, this is what you can do today. I, I know you wanna be somewhere else but this is the change you can make today. And she did, she did, she changed that place. I think we can take this example and put it to good application for ourselves. Uh, what, isn't it true, wouldn't we find it odd for a student to begin a test and halfway through say, I'm done? Wouldn't we find that odd? Uh, we would actually probably call that student a quitter. Well, let it finish its work even if you don't enjoy it. Because as James says, the goal is your maturity and your faith. And so lean into your trial. That said, all that was free of charge because that wasn't Daniel. That wasn't him. Did, did you notice anything from the life of Daniel? Instead, he makes a different point. The trials that we find ourselves in can reveal who we really are. And, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, I'm not. It can reveal something to other people about who you are. What we reveal from our faith in God can help others see God. Daniel, think about it. His, his deliverance from the lion's den resulted in untold numbers of people hearing about God. And not just from Daniel, but from the king. I'll prove it. Look at Daniel chapter six. And specifically, if you look at verses 26 and 27, because you saw Darius's reaction, Daniel's okay. And he's like, yes, yes. He, he, he then put a hit out on those that put the hit out on Daniel. But this is what he says. He said, I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And the same God that rescued him can rescue you. You might have this moment where, because of circumstances that you find yourself in your job or just in the world, it requires tremendous courage 
I want to remind you of something that we learned from the witness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Examples that we learn from Daniel is that they were willing to hold on to God because he's everything, and they were willing to lose the world because it wasn't what it was all made up to be. They were willing. They were willing. We need to follow their example. So I give, I give two challenges to you this morning, and I want to, just for a second, I want to talk to those of you that are followers of Jesus, if I can do that. We, we go into a time of prayer, and in this time of prayer, I just want to direct you a little bit on some things that I want you to pray for. Talk to the Lord about. I just want to put this in front of you. One, you might find yourself in a James moment right now where you are going through untold trials that are incredibly difficult. I'm inviting you this morning to pray to the Lord that he would give you the strength for perseverance so that it can complete its work. I don't want you to be like a friend of mine who in a track meet when he was running the 800, which is basically two laps around the track, right? When he is running the 800, he had finished one lap, he had gotten about a portion through the second lap, and then he literally walks off the track and walks over as if he was done. It's like, what are you doing? By the way, we lost the track meet. I blame him to this day. I'm kidding, we wouldn't have won anyway, but it's kind of the point, right? How many of you look at him and go, yeah, that, that's, that's what the race was for? Nobody. It, it's, it's the same for you. And so maybe what you need to be is honest with the Lord. It's, this is your Paul prayer moment. If you would remove this from me, but if not, that's okay. But I need your strength to get me through, to persevere so that through this, I can become what you're trying to make me. That is a good prayer. It's honest. I'm encouraging you to pray it today. Uh, or maybe this is your Daniel moment, second part. Maybe this is your Daniel moment where even though you are going through untold trials, you are literally a witness to everyone around you because of it. In that case, can you agree with me that you wouldn't want the trial removed, but instead you would want Christ to shine through you. That's what Daniel did. Maybe you can pray that. That's a good prayer. For others of you, uh, you came in today and you have, you have never made the most important decision that you will make in your life. You never made it. And it's what you do with Jesus. People can tell you something like this. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. I'm telling you that's sincerely false. It's since, it might be well-intended, but it's false. It, it is not just a matter of what do you believe, but you want to have true beliefs. You want to have true beliefs. You know, not every road is going to take you where you think. And Jesus said some very specific things about himself. He said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He said it, not me. I'm just quoting him. And at some point, what that means is that we have to come to reckon with the things that Jesus said about himself. But it's not just a matter of what he said about himself. It's what he did for you. It's what he did for you. Uh, he speaks the truth to you for your good and for your blessing. But he also did incredible things for you, for your good and for your blessing. He, he saw the cross as worth it for love. I mean, that is a deep love that most of us have never, ever had to commit ourselves to. Certainly to that never, not to that extent. I mean, think about it. Here we are talking with each other. But he did. He did. And why? It's so that the broken creation, of which I am one part and you, but all of it, he says, can be put back together. It can be put back together. And this is the promise of the word, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved. 
And you go, what are you saved from? And the answer is you're saved from judgment, which is real, but you're also saved from the stranglehold that sin has on your life. What it, what it says in Colossians is it says, he has broken the dominion and the power over the rulers and the authorities. He's broken it. All you gotta do is take what he's been giving you. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.